welcome to episode 29 of Unsweetened and Unfiltered. And on this week's episode, we have a special guest, Sahar Hamdan. And if you guys couldn't guess by the last name, yes, we are related and she is my first cousin. So it was kind of fun to have like an actual family member on my podcast for the first time ever. Yeah, I mean, I had my cousin on a few months ago and it does feel like you're just chilling with them. Like it doesn't feel like there's microphones in front of your face. It's a lot more relaxed and chill. Like you said, just like us having a cup of tea. Well, not a cup of tea. We actually had hummus popcorn the list goes on and on i mean how many snacks can you put in front of somebody i'm an arab so i like put out a spread we well, have you to. brought the hummus and stuff but like you know you got to present yeah so when it comes to my cousin you guys it's very interesting our relationship because back in the day in my childhood we grew up in a three flat and what that is is like an apartment with you know three floors and whatnot so it was like my uncle and my aunt and my cousins including sahar on the top floor then it was us my family and then it was my other uncle and my aunt on the bottom floor so safe to say we had a very very fun childhood that sounds like fun girl we grew up with all of our cousins all together and it, it, it was just it was so interesting to me it was so much fun and i have so many great memories and sahar was somebody who i clinged on to the most um being that she's only five years older than me so i'm 30 she's 35 but it's interesting to see especially in this episode how drastically different our lives are and our life paths and i think it's it kind of like hit me that like you never know what your life path is going to be or your journey is. And I know people say this is what you're supposed to have at this age and this age and that age. And it's like, no, look, look at her life and look at my life. And we're we're both happy and where we're at in our lives. Because I don't think either of you guys at the age of 15 would ever guess that your lives would be what they are right now. No, absolutely yeah. not. But again, Sahad is somebody who I was very close to growing up. And she's somebody that I always looked up to, even though there was it's a minor age difference. But again, like she did mature very quickly and she does um, discuss that in the episode but I feel like this episode was much needed and it was a nice fresh perspective on motherhood but Sahar's story is interesting she grew up in a very strict household and it was it's different than how I grew up even though our parents are siblings now she's at the age of 35 and you guys like this is crazy but she has a 17 year old daughter how do you navigate life now knowing that you have a daughter in her teens and she has another daughter too who's 15 so we wanted to talk about like how is she navigating motherhood um knowing that especially in today's day and age it's kind of hard to raise daughters and i'm not saying it's because daughters are hard to raise for other reasons i'm saying in this world the world is not kind to women. So how do you give your daughters that confidence, that boost of confidence to move forward in their lives, to know what they want, to take charge, and to say no when they need to say no? And this is actually a conversation I had with one of my cousins who has three daughters now. How do you raise your girls in the same age where you want them to have the confidence, but you also want them to have the religion and hold on to the culture and, and just have that balance? Like, how is that attainable? Yeah. And I think Sahad, I think, gives incredible advice in this episode and I think it's going to help a lot of mothers and soon-to-be mothers we snapped our fingers a lot of times because I felt like she was giving Emmy award-winning speeches like we really dive in at first Sahara was like you know this is new to her I mean you have a microphone in your face and we're asking you questions about your life so it's very hard it's not this is not something she does for a living but what's also special about this episode is like she first was a daughter then she became a wife then right away after becoming a wife she became a mother and where does who is she who is Sahar at the core and so we talked to her about that as well and how she's regaining control of her life and how to not 
feel like you're being selfish by putting yourself first. And I think at no matter what stage you are in your life as a woman, we always have that guilt riding on us. Like, why do we always feel guilty when we want to do something for us, when we want to put ourselves first and strip away all of these identities and just who are we at the core? And I think she's done it for so long where she's constantly put other people first. First, it was her parents and her husband, now her kids. And it's hard to like pull yourself out of that routine of doing so many things for other people and not focusing on yourself. Like, go get a pedicure, go get a massage, go get a facial, treat yourself because you deserve it. Like you've done so much for so long. But Sahar's self-care is going to be a little bit different. It's more so her actually taking that huge step and going back to college. 16 years of no school. She only graduated high school and here she is as a mother and as a wife and still as a daughter, alhamdulillah, she is going back to school and she wants to figure her life out and she's going into psychology and she wants to like, you know, she wants to dive deep into like family affairs and just like the therapy and all that stuff that goes behind it. And it's, I think she's a perfect fit for this career choice. And I'm really proud of her for acknowledging the fact that, you know what, I've kind of ignored myself for so long, ignored what I wanted and saying like, I'm done with that. Like I want to focus on myself. So Again, we learned so much in this episode. Me, I mean, both of us are not parents. We're not mothers. But I think we both are walking away from this episode with more knowledge on that subject than ever before. And appreciation for our parents, too. So let's definitely like commend our parents. And if you're listening to this, text our moms, text our dads. Just tell them thank you. Just let it be out out of the blue and let them know that you appreciate them and you're truly thinking of them because our parents are truly trying the best that they can to raise us in today's world and it's it's just this is a great episode i really hope you guys enjoy it make sure you guys stick around for the unfiltered afterthoughts and it always comes after the episode is done um this is where we digest and we discuss the topic a little bit further the the guests and everything what we thought and what our takeaways are so again thank you guys so much from the bottom of our hearts for always coming in tuning in every week week after week so hope you guys enjoyed this episode let's dive in let's do it I want to welcome um, our special guest today, which is Sahar Hamdan. She is my cousin, one of my favorite cousins, of course. She is somebody who I grew up um, when I was younger. I was I grew up alongside you, and I always looked up to you. And it's crazy to know that hey, I have a podcast now, and I'm having Sahar on here. If you want to just introduce yourself to everybody who is listening, who you are, your background, family life, and all that stuff. Well, first thing, thank you for having me. My name is Sahar Hamdan. I am 35 years old. I am from Palestine, Elbira. I was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. Um, I come from a large family. I'm number six from seven siblings. Let me also add I'm a mother to four amazing children. My oldest is 17, and my youngest is five. Um, let's see, my parents, They, my dad immigrated here to Chicago, I think he was 15. He was very young, he worked very hard. My mother was an amazing mom. My father worked long hours, so she kind of raised us all on her own. And um, they're very religious, not too religious, but they, they're religious. They love their culture. They love their hadats. They worked very hard on raising us. They did the best that they can do. They had a couple of rules. Like, for instance, we had a bedtime. Even if you're 17, you have a bedtime. Nine o'clock is your bedtime. Um, as a parent now, I understand where they come from. When I was younger, I was like, God, they're so strict. You know, why are they like this? I think they did the best that they can do. But they lacked explaining why bedtime, why no to birthday parties, why no to no friends coming over. It was hard for them. They're new in this country. It's a foreign country. 
Uh, there's no connection if you go out. Uh, whereas of right now, I can know where my kid's at from 360, the app. Exactly. They didn't. So I didn't have much of a life as a teenager. Your mom went out. You got to go out. As I got older, my sister, my older sister was married. So she would go out. I would go out with her. That was okay. But uh, getting your own car, driving around, having friends over, that was a no-no. That's not going to happen. Um, my dad believes in tough love. You know, and then I thank him for that because I think that's what got me through my life is being tough, is making it work out. He wasn't just a father to his children. He was also a father to the whole Hamdan family. Uh, he came here when he was 15, like I said, and he right away took on responsibility. And he did a good job for getting the family where it needs to be. My mom spent her days as a mother, cooking, cleaning, helping us with our, her home, with our homework. And... um Sometimes these days I want to take her out. I want to take her to the movies because she spent her life raising us and I think she forgot about herself. I thank them for what they did. I take what they taught me and I tweak it a little bit. Because like I said, I have a 17-year-old, I have a 15-year-old, a 10 and a 5-year-old. Different age groups. It's a different time, a different life. I focus on giving them what I didn't have. Let's talk about the fact that it's interesting because like, you know, our fathers are brothers and you and I were raised completely differently. And it's interesting because you, you're right. My dad was raised more, I don't want to say spoiled, but he didn't have to work like my uncle, like where at the age of 15, he was already like, you know, going down in shops and opening up shops and working and bringing like, you know, money home to the family and everything like that. How is it to look, look back and see that? Yeah, you lived in such a strict household that do you feel like now you're trying to figure it out for your kids? Like, what are you going to do and how are you going to raise them? Yeah, well, let me mention why our fathers are different and their siblings. My dad was raised by his grandfather. Our grandfather, which are his parents, they immigrated to Venezuela before America, and they couldn't take their children with them. So my dad and my aunts were left behind. They were raised by their grandparents, and I know their grandfather was a very, very strict guy. You know, I know my dad was 12 years old, and his job was to go at night and sleep in a land that they owned to make sure nobody stole the vegetables and their crops. And I just feel bad because he was 12 years old. He's supposed to be playing soccer, enjoying his time. So how do you say he started life as an adult at a young age? Your dad um, was born in a different time. There's a big age difference. Huge age difference. Their, their parents, which is our grandparents, um, are very, you know, like they spoiled their children. So they were raised in different households, technically. Yeah. So my dad was raised by his actual mother and father. Mm -hmm. And then your dad was raised by his grandfather. Yeah. Which, Grandparents. Yeah. Which I hear uh, our grandfather, Sidi Abdeljabit, was very strict. A little humble, but yeah. Very like, um, you know, back then, you know, you're talking about coming from Elbira in a small village, very strict rules. Yeah. And I'm sure like thinking about it now, if I was raised by my grandparents, not my mom, I would be completely different as a person. So it is a different kind of life. And it's so interesting to see, although your dads have the same parents, just how drastic the difference is. And it does make a difference that like how you raise your kids affects them later in life and how they raise their kids and so forth and so on. It's interesting. And I love that you keep saying they did the best they can for their time. Like that's they such did. an important thing to remember because you know, a lot of our parents did come from Palestine or other countries. They're used to one set of ways and they're coming to America and it's like something completely brand new. And they're trying to hold on to those traditions and those cultural, you know, traditions and stuff, but still trying to have their their kids be Palestinian Muslims, great people, but also assimilate, but not too much. It's, it's hard. I can't imagine 
doing that nowadays. Yeah, I mean, eventually the whole family did meet up in in Chicago. They all made it to the U.S. They brought in my grandparents and my dad made paperwork and brought in the daughters, which was their aunts. And uh, they they had a really difficult life. When you sit with my dad and you hear the stories and everything he had to go through, you know, it's a a responsibility. But also he implanted that in us. I went through many struggles, being married at a young age, raising children at a young age. You know, I learned a lot from him. And he implanted it. I tweak it, like I said, a little bit to kind of fit what I want to do. Because like I went back and I said, our parents really didn't have a life. My dad's job was to work, make money, make sure he provides for us. My mom's job was to cook and clean and take care of us and protect us. They kind of forgot about themselves while they were raising us. You know, how about fun time? How about going out with friends? That's why like right now we're my mom's friends. She doesn't have friends. So I try to convince her to go to the movies, to go to the mall. I, she, I'm trying to take her out of her little box. It's hard. You know, they're not young anymore. But I truly, as a mother now, at the age of 35, I understand where they were coming from. I'm sure you didn't think that way when you, you know. were 17. It's yeah. so crazy how now you're putting yourself in their shoes. Like, mm-hmm. they busted ass their whole life. And now mm-hmm. they're finally watching their kids grow up and now their kids kind of have to take care of them. They're taking them to the movies. They're making sure that they're, you know, having the fun that they deserve. You mentioned marriage. Can we talk about your marriage? Are you comfortable with just opening oh, yeah. up about that? Yeah, I'm fine. What was your initial thought process when it came to marriage as a young girl? I'm going to say originally within the family that we lived in, growing up, it's known you get older and you get married. Not that they like forced us or implanted it, but somehow is you grow up and you get married. Mm-hmm. You inister is the word. The main goal for all parents in America when they leave their village is el inister. So, and I also blame the Disney movies. Okay, I'm a big fan of Disney movies and I spend my childhood watching Cinderella. And I think that's a big part where I want to be a princess and I want my prince charm to come and just make all my dreams come true. And I really, really believed it. And that's what I wanted. So when I was 18, um, people started asking for my hand and I would sit with them and um, I was like, no. And then my husband comes along and my husband is not Palestinian. He's from Iraq. And that was like a big no, no (laughs) to my family. And back then I was like, what's wrong with them? Why don't they want me to be happy? I was like, I fell in love. The guy was cute. Well, I mean, I see him cute. <laughs> so, handsome, yeah. you know, it was like, oh, my God, I found my prince. And, you know, he had these green eyes. And I was like, oh, my God, this is happening. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be a princess. That's my, my thought initially. Let me add, at the age of 18, I was really mature for my age. I have to put that in. I wasn't much of a kid at being a kid. I stuck around with my mom. And I would go and sit with her while she's sitting with, like, these ladies and hearing their conversations. So I feel like I was mature. So um, my dad was more open-minded about marrying a gharib. And let me say, maghrib al-shaitan, meaning we should not say anybody's a gharib because we're all one. Um, my dad is a religious guy, so we go with um, the Prophet, والسلام, said, nikah, meaning don't let your children marry within the family. It's okay to, you know, step out of your boundaries. It's better. So my dad, I would hear him at night telling my mom, you know, the prophet said this. My mom was more like, no, you know, let's say the agenda, the rules that all parents have. And I hate it culturally, not religiously, where they want the guy from the ballot, for God's sakes, if not your cousin, 
Mm -hmm. Uh, They want him to have a degree. He should be a doctor. They want him to be loaded. They want this whole big agenda, which is, I know they want the best for me. And the biggest problem they had was, how do we know who he is? And now I get it, that my daughters are approaching that age. Because, you know, we're Amana. My kids are Amana. I was in Amana. They want the best for me. Eventually, they accepted. My dad accepted from day one. My husband went a couple of times and spoke with him. And then when he met my mom, somehow they fell in love with him too. So it worked on my behalf. Yeah, it's like you have to give people like that a chance. You can't just, he's Muslim. He came to your family's house the right way and everything. He did nothing, absolutely nothing wrong. The only thing, and I'm putting in the quotation marks, was wrong about him is the fact that he's Iraqi and you're Palestinian. Mm -hmm. So I understand where you're coming from because I feel like my mom also kind of has that mindset where they think it's like, no, we don't know these people. Their culture is different. How are we going to speak the same language? How are we going to interact when we sometimes don't even speak the same language and everything? Yeah. How hard was it, like, for you to kind of convince your mom to just, like, call us? Like, after she met him, did she kind of, like, that's it, I'm okay with it? Or does it still feel like you still have to kind of, you know... I mean, let me tell you something. My husband, alhamdulillah, has a great personality. He's very charming. My mom, and even, you know, Sitrashida, my grandmother, Mm -hmm. she was really, like, against it. They gave me a tough time. But as soon as they met him, just let's say I wasn't engaged, they were engaged. Because when we'd go out, they would have to be with us. And literally, my mom would be walking with my husband. I'm just walking in the back, like, whatever, you know, it's fine. They accepted him, but I think they were worried. They were worried, and they did explain to me. My dad sat me down. He's like, listen, Yaba, this is your life, but it's going to be difficult because I don't know who this guy is. And that's why my dad recommended uh, for us to be engaged for a year, which is I get it now. I understand it now. So we didn't rush into it. We were engaged for a year, and I got to know him better. But let me say there are difficulties. Continuing with the topic of marriage, him being from Iraq, from Basra, Iraq, and me being from Albira, Palestine, we're Arab, we're Muslims, but we are totally different. I'm a background on my husband. He comes from a large family. I mean, I can't even count his siblings. I know there's seven sisters and I think five or six brothers. Mashallah. Yeah. Okay. And um, when I first got married, it was just me and him. He only had one sibling living in America. As the years went through and we started visiting Iraq and I got to see the whole family, I was like, whoa. Yeah. Okay. They're very culture oriented. They're very religious. Like, for instance, when there's gatherings, men sit separately from women. The women are very modest. They're wearing their long black abay and the abay is not fitted. Uh, No makeup. If any makeup, light makeup. They all live together. I mean, my mother-in-law... She lives with my two sister-in-laws in this big house, and, and somehow it works. I don't know how. Their culture, mother is in charge. So my mother-in-law says, who's going out? Who's coming out? What's for dinner? When are we going to invite? When are we not going to invite? I'm just sitting here thinking like, oh, my God, what did I get myself into? Because that's not going to work with me. I'm uh, more like, you know, you get married. Of course, you respect your in-laws. But you know, you're in charge of your own household. For God's sakes, I got married for freedom. I wanted to be in charge of my own yeah. household. <laughs> household. So here I am, loud, dressed in jeans. Yes, I am a tajba, full face of makeup. Um, they love me. I mean, I think they love me. They I always get, I am a, like, uh, how do you say, I'm, I'm something new. I'm interesting to them. They love to hear my stories. I kind of give them some guidance. And then I'm like, wait, maybe I should stop. You know, because don't get me wrong, they're happy. That's what they're used to. They're different. And it took me a long time to accept it's okay to be different. I'm entitled to be who I am. 
and he's entitled to be who he is, meaning my husband. Like I said, accept, and this is an important fact, it's okay to be different. There was days where I was sick to my stomach why we're different. And then I couldn't go tell my parents because they're like, well, this is what you wanted. Yeah. You know? Every parent, it's like, you chose this, you deal yeah. with it. Even like when we would argue, I couldn't call up my mom. Throughout my marriage, I fixed my own problems. And I taught myself how to fix my problems. And I became strong because my dad's a strong guy. And, and I learned from him. And my husband, you know, he's a good guy. We have our differences. Just to give an example, I want to buy a condo in Palestine. He wants to build a house in Iraq. We can't afford both. <laughs> We're not so what do you do? That's so hard. So what do you do? I learned the hard way to just leave it alone. Sometimes you have to leave these problems alone. Um, when I was younger, I would be like, no, we have to finish this problem now. And it would just get ugly, like sleep on it. SubhanAllah, sometimes he'll change his mind. Sometimes I'll change my mind and just let it go. It's, that's actually what I've learned in my marriage is you can pick and choose your battles. Not every argument needs to be this huge thing. And I mean, my husband and I are from the same city in Palestine and we're very, very different. My husband is more, you know, um, closed off, maybe more modest, maybe more like down to earth. And I want to go out when I want to explore to sit. He wants to sit on the couch and watch TV. It, I don't think the differences that you guys have are because you're from different uh, countries. Mm -hmm. I think it's just that you're different people, you're different families. Yeah, everybody's different. Yeah, I mean, how do they say your own siblings? We're raising the same household, and we're completely different. Me and exactly. my sisters are different, but it adds more difficulty. Yeah. I mean, we speak the same language, but our dialect is completely different. And I don't know how somehow I learned our dialect, and I speak it so good. I was going to ask you about that. And it's weird how it just like switches. It's like an auto thing. When I'm with them, my language is completely different. And as an example, we say, if you're Madani and you're Palestinian, you're going to say, كيف حالك? كيف انتي? If you're Falahi, we say, كيف حالك? They're like, شلونك? شخبارك? I learned That's it. It's so different. It's so different. And I just learned it throughout the years. And I'm fine with it. So, yes, it adds more. But it doesn't mean you should not, you know, marry somebody from a different country. I also learned a lot from them. I learned to be humble. Um, they accept a lot less, you know, but I, I learned a lot how they get along. They have this thing where people just visit your doors open 24 hours. I'm like, yeah, call me because yeah. I need to know who's coming over that exactly. day. You know, they, they, they get along. It works for them. They're happy. Um, they also learned from me, my husband, too, on a personal level. Uh, he was raised to obey. You obey your older brother. You obey your parents. You don't say no. You don't have a say so. Nowadays, and I taught him and he got that from me. You have to speak up. You really do. Um, he does more of what he wants. You know, your family is your family. You love your family. But how about you? I felt bad for him too. It's like, it's always about the family. Well, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? You know, he, he, my husband also, a lot like my dad was working when he was 12 years old to provide for the family. And, um, he's really never did anything for himself. So I kind of tell him and I, and I tell him and I, you know, you need to do something for yourself. You need to be happy. Recently, um, I know he's been wanting a nice car. And I was like, we're going to go out and get it for you. He's worked really hard. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm like, no, no, we're going to go out and get it. You're going to enjoy something nice in your life. So he learned from me. I learned from him. It's okay, again, to be different. It took me, I had a struggle with that. Because, you know, my mom would be like, oh, he's perfect. It's amazing. He's a good guy. If only he was Palestinian. And sometimes it would affect you mentally. But he's not Palestinian. He's not going to be Palestinian. And it's okay. And like I said, you know, you figure it out step at a time. I got a question recently. Two weeks ago, I was in Washington. And a guy asked me, a family member, 
when do you figure it out? You've been married for 19 years. And I couldn't really answer it. And now that I thought about it, my answer is, you kind of don't figure it out as a whole, but you figure out as you go. You take it step by step. Don't be selfish. At the same time, don't forget yourself either. Because I'm guilty of throughout the years, I think I put myself on a hold. And we'll get into that later on. You know, I did my job as a mother. I did my job as a daughter, as a wife. But in the process, I lost Sahar. Who is Sahar? I, I don't know, you know? So we'll get into that later on. Before we move on, I want to kind of just go back because I know there's a lot of people that, you know, DM us and ask us like, hey, like I'm in a relationship where the guy's from a different ballad, from a different country, from a different background. Like, how do I ease this into like, you know, my parents and let them know like, hey, this is somebody I'm in love with. Like, what advice do you have before we leave this topic for girls that are going to marry outside of their culture, outside of their country? Like, how do how should they approach this? Number one, honestly, try to get to know as much as you can from the person you're choosing, whether, again, if it's a girl or a guy, it can be hard on both. You know, we're always focused on the aspect as a female, but, you know, guys go through this too. Because I know a lot of parents will be like to their son, no, you can't marry a girl from a different country. So get to know the person before you present them to your parents. And my advice is for the parents, really release a little bit, open up your mind, um, this is marriage. This is a commitment. In, in the end, you just you want them to be safe and you want them to be happy. So help them get to know this person. Uh, do your background check, you know, and think about it. It's not wrong. It's not haram. Allah never said it was haram. And I really would like to emphasize, do not mix up our deen with our hadat. It's a very big difference because there's nothing that says it's haram. But get to know the person. And think about it. It is a big commitment. And it brings more struggles to the marriage life when it is from two different countries. Simple as the summer, we're always like, where do you want to go? My husband wants to go to Iraq. I want to go to Palestine. We can't afford both, but this summer we did both. Sometimes we can't. So there's a lot of struggles around the way, but you can get through it. What's the final advice you have for like people that just in general, just marriage life in general? Because I feel like a lot of people do struggle. Divorce is on like a high rate right now. So how have you made it work after all these years, especially, yeah, coming from two different backgrounds? Like, what's the most important thing that you've learned? <clears throat> well, let me tell you something from my experience, but I cannot advise everybody because each marriage is different. There's things that can be worked on and there's things that you cannot work on. That's why Allah said, meaning I don't like divorce, but it's halal and God made it halal. And he also gave the lady the right to divorce, which is called khul'a. Just in case the guy doesn't want to divorce you, you can take yourself out of the marriage. So marriage is hard. It's a sensitive topic. There's things that you can work through and things you cannot work through. You know, if you're in an abusive relationship, it's hard to work through that. Um, if the guy has a problem, like drugs or gambling or drinking and on and on and on, then that's a big problem. But minor things are fixable. How to fix it? Communication. Really, you have to be able to communicate. And listen to what the other person's telling you. We're so, and I'm guilty of that in the past, where I'm trying to get him to understand my point of view. Well, how about his point of view? What is he thinking? And as soon as you realize to start thinking, what is that person thinking? It works out better. Communicate in patience. 
just be empathetic towards the other person and yeah. understand that just Patience. as much as you're getting your point across. Yeah, that's true. He has, he wants to say his point mm-hmm. too. So I think there's a great point. And I think I've learned that over the three and a half years that I've been married, just listen. Like, it's not just about yeah. me, me, me. And I think a lot of times I want to make it about me, but like, it's a partnership. You want to make sure your partner is happy as well. Yeah. I kind of want to move on because you're sitting in front of me. You're 35. You do not look 35. Michelle, Michelle, you <laughs> look you. like you're like, 20, like 23. <laughs> and you. it's crazy for me to wrap my head around the fact that you have a 17-year-old Michelle. Like, yeah. Michelle. Yeah, let's talk about motherhood. Like, was something, like, being a mom something that you wanted right away after you got married? Or did you want to take your time and wait? Honestly, I don't think I gave it much thought. I didn't prevent it. And I didn't try for it. I ended up pregnant six months after I was married. I was still in high school. Um, Recently, I had a paper that was due, and it was choosing a word and comparing your definition with the dictionary's definition. Obviously, I chose motherhood. And the meaning for mother in the dictionary is a female parent. I was like, oh, no, nothing else, just a female parent. I was like, what? Honestly, I felt offended. And I went on, it was like a two-page essay. I went on like four pages. <laughs> no, I, I'm more than a female parent. Um, motherhood is, it's life-changing. I thought I was in love with my husband, but true love is the second day after I had my daughter. And I looked at her and you li- literally like, I got butterflies in my stomach. My heart just got like this shock feeling. And I was like, oh my God, this little creature, excuse my language, (laughs) belongs to me. And I'm responsible to keep it safe. And that's when I fall in love. Like I really fall in love. Yeah. But at the age of 18, 19 years old, like how terrifying is it to find out you are responsible for this little creature? Like you're a kid yourself at that age. Yeah. It was scary. Uh, My mom helped a lot. I mean, my mom helped a lot as much as I say, I had no clue what I was doing. To my luck, my oldest is Haya. She's 17 and she was colic. And that means the baby's just crying for no reason. There's no um, different. I I Google it recently and I did research on it. So there's no reason. There's no diagnosis. They don't know what causes it, but it does go away at four months. So my mom helped a lot. This child just would not sleep. She would cry. Motherhood is tough, but you figure it out as you go. SubhanAllah, Allah, I think, installs in us how to figure it out. You know, you're not just a mother. You're a nurse. You're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're a teacher. I can go on and on. As they get older, you're one day you're a bad cop, you're a good cop. Um, you're a judge where you have to judge between two of your children, which is a hard position. I'm an Uber driver driving back and <laughs> forth. I don't get paid. You know, it's a job. It's a 24-hour job. Even when you're sleeping, you are not comfortable. I mean, when my five-year-old has a fever, I honestly can't sleep. So it's a tough job if you want to be a mother you have to think it through. I did not think it through. I don't regret it. If my kids are hearing this, I love all four of you guys. <laughs> they are my signal. But um, you need to kind of be ready. You figure it out, but it's better if you plan it, to be honest with you. Don't rush into it because once you're a mother, your life changes. It's not your life anymore. So, yeah, like we said, Haya is now 17. How old mm. is Malak? Malak is 15. 15. Your daughters are in their prime teens right now. Yeah. How how are you navigating motherhood now? Because like, yeah, you came from a strict household. You were raised differently. So how are you taking what you learned from your parents and now implementing it into your, now you, you're a mother of two teens? So I take what my parents taught me. Like I said, I tweak it. For instance, let's start with something simple. Bedtime. 
a funny story. I was engaged and I, my bedtime was nine and my fiance, well, my husband back then, my fiance was over. And my dad's like, yeah, let's start it's bedtime, go to sleep. I'm like, what? Oh my but gosh. my fiance's here. Oh no my way. God. Yeah, I remember, I was like, whoa. And my dad's like, yeah. You know, my dad is very like organized. He has a bedtime. And I'm just like, oh my God. For my 17 year old, my 15 year old, they don't have a bedtime. They, they're old enough and they're, they're good girls. They know when to sleep. So I'm not gonna sit and be like, go to bed, go to bed. I don't give them a bedtime. I have two boys also, the 10 year old and the five year old, they have bedtimes. Right. And I make it 10. I mean, 10 is the limit. And they need to be supervised. The older ones, I give them some room to breathe. Um, I wasn't allowed to go out when I was young, just out of like, they would fear, like I said, I allowed them to go out. Um, I allowed birthday parties. They can bring the girls over. They can have birthday parties. I let them have some fun. But I make an effort to meet their friends and to meet their parents. You have to give time to understand. Because also, you know, like um, an incident was my daughter wants to go to this birthday party. I don't know this girl. She didn't even go to her school. And I, I really wasn't comfortable with it. I was like, I'm going to come down and meet the parents. She's like, no, you're not. I'm like, yes, I am. I have to. I'm not going to be annoying. So I went down, took a look at the family, met the mother, just to feel ease, you know. Like, it's my job to protect them. I believe our parents were more controlling. And a lot of parents have a misconception of to control. My thought is don't control, guide, coach them, communicate. There we go back to the communication. Communicate, listen to them. Explain to them why no. You know, um, if I don't want you to go to a certain place, well, Yama, I don't think it's safe. I don't like it. I'm not comfortable. I also teach my daughters, think about what you want. You know, is this going to benefit you? Is it going to affect you? Is it going to affect the people around you? Talk to them. Explain to them. Where me was like, la, leish, head. The why? Because I said, no, the why no. And you can go on forever and you're going to get the same answer. No. I tell my kids why. They have to understand why. I think I would have truly appreciated that when I was younger because I used to get the same no over and over again. <laughs> and it would end up being such a huge argument. Now, not because I can't go, but it's like, why? No, give me just that reason. So it, I stopped caring about not being able to go to the mall. I just want to know why my mom thinks it's okay just to say no and that's it. And it kind of like raises curiosity. Like, what don't you want me to see? What don't you want me to witness? But from what I understand, the way that you're raising your daughters, it's about giving them that... Um, freedom but like setting a boundaries yeah, right definitely. freedom with parental control yes yeah. yeah and i think that's like the perfect way of doing it because you're gaining their trust and they're gaining mm -hmm. your trust but you also have that like i'm comfortable knowing that i know where you're at at all times i know who you're with i know what you're doing like you're doing what you want to do but under my like authority basically and the kids don't supervision see yeah you know like yeah. i have to supervise i have to guide you and you know i have to teach them what i can before I release them out to the real, yeah. real world. I mean, my 17 year old is already applying for a college and working on the paperwork. And I'm like, it's gonna be different. My daughters personally go to a private school, AXA. It's an all girls school by choice. I went to AXA, an all girls school. Um, I first had them in uh, public school and then it started with the older one in eighth grade. She was like, I'm just not comfortable there. Can I try going to AXA because she already had friends there? And I was like, I mean, it's up to you. Go ahead and try it. And then she liked it there. They just feel like they're more at home. They don't have to explain why they're not dating, why they can't go. The biggest problem my daughter had in public school was they were bothering her why she didn't go to the Valentine dance and why you're not dating. And she's like, I just want to keep on explaining it. And so in Aqsa, they don't have to explain that. Right. So they felt more at home versus like when they're going out to a party, we know it's an all girl party. 
you know, there's going to be no liquor there. <laughs> they're Muslim and they're Arab, I hope. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> you're like, you're hoping. I hope. And um, like I said, they made that choice. And I always tell them, are you comfortable there? We had an incident last year where um, my older was like, and I teach my kids, when you're not comfortable or when you make a mistake, you come to me. I can fix it. I will do whatever I can to save you and to protect you. And to the parents out there, if your kid makes a mistake, please don't, you know, abuse them for it. I'm talking about physically. We were young and mentally too. We made mistakes and they're already scared. They're already terrified. So let them know that they can always come back to you. And I tell them, give me heads up though. Mom, are you in a good position? <laughs> because I need to talk to you. And I really be like, hold off. And then when I'm like, okay, and free, I'll talk about it because you make a better judgment and you're more understanding. So my daughter was like, uh, the older one, she's like, I'm not comfortable at school anymore. I think I want to transfer. And I was like, whoa, this is last year and you're a senior and, you know, let's talk about this. So we talked about it and I literally told her, make a list, put your pros and your cons and see, you know, it's her last year and she worked really hard in NJHS and all her credit hours and in some schools, you know, you're losing your friends. I mean, do you want to move or transfer instead of moving? So we looked into it. We still went to the other school and they took their testing and they walked through it. And I worked through it. We ended up staying at the same school. And the problem being was mm, a little bullying. You know, it's high school. Sad. Yeah. I, I really, my heart breaks when I hear any bullying yeah. stories. It, it wasn't severe. It was more, you know, they're teenage girls and some Catty girls can girls, be rude. Yeah. yeah. So I was like to her, my opinion, no. You don't leave. You stay there and you fight. And I'm not saying physically with respect and you hold your ground. And they're not going to push you out of the school. You're going to, you know, it's it's your choice. Like my daughter's friends with the whole group. It was like two different groups. It was a simple problem. They figured it out. But I'm proud of her that she stuck with it and she figured it out. But I helped her through it. You know, it's not fair to her to come home and be scared and not able to tell me. That's why we're parents. That's why we're there. That's just a simple problem. Yeah, I think we've all had issues in high school and whatnot, mm -hmm. but it's like I never felt that. Like my parents would have been there for me, but I, they never made us feel comfortable to go up to them to say this stuff. So it's nice to know that you are now that type of parent, that you're seeing how you grew up, and now you're trying to change it the way for your daughters, making it better for them when they're growing up, that they have somebody that they could talk about even bullying, which is such a like, serious subject, serious topic. And I think you truly helped her a lot when it comes to this. Yeah, and you pushed yeah. her and you gave her that confidence that she needed. And sometimes as parents, yeah, you want to be that boost of confidence for your daughters, for your sons. I always struggle with like how I plan on raising my future kids. Like, do I want to be a friend to them? Do I want to be that? Because like, it's hard to be a friend to your mm -hmm. kids, right? Because like, then they, they feel like they can take advantage of you. But then there's the other side where if you are their friend, they do feel comfortable coming up to you and saying, hey, I'm being bullied at school. Or, hey, I saw this girl do something. Or, hey, I messed up and I did this. It's finding that balance, right? I mean, do mm -hmm. you struggle finding that balance? This is what I believe. Um, number one, your job is you're a parent. And I tell my daughters and my boys, I'm your parent, meaning I'm your home. I'm responsible for your safety. I'm responsible to raise you and to prep you for this world. But also, on the other hand, I'm your friend, and I'll probably be your best friend. I'm your mother, and I'm here for you. But they understand, and I tell them there's a time to joke. There's a time to be serious. There's a time to be, you know, real. So they know. You know, if I'm serious, it's time to be serious. Now, sometimes I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm serious. 
cut the joking. They'll get it. If I'm in the mood, you know, to laugh and joke, they'll laugh and joke. I think it's about it explaining to them that I'm both. I am your parent and I can be your friend. But there are some circumstances where I have to be a parent and set the rules and sometimes I can let go. You know, there's different parent th- parenting methods. And um, the one I, I stick to is to coach them. You don't want to be neglectful where you don't care what's going on because that's not right. And you don't want to be too lenient. You know, you're laughing at everything and you're joking at everything and they do something bad and you're like, eh, whatever, who cares? No, because also we need discipline. As humans, we need discipline. We need rules. We need guidelines. But when I punish, don't punish them severely. Don't be so severe. I mean, for God's sakes, it's a mistake. What's the worst thing they can do? You know, they didn't kill someone. I mean, hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully You know, but um, punish, uh, obviously not physically. I would never do that. First thing we talk about why you're getting punished and your mistake, how it affected you or affected me and affected people around you. And then the punishment would be, depending on age, taking away the phone. Oh, you take that phone away and they're just... Balling. They're angels. Yeah. No, oh. they're angels. Okay. I mean, the, the 17-year-old and the 15-year-old, I wake up on Saturday and the house, mm, I smell pine salt and the house is clean. Oh, wow. and, whoa, <laughs> maybe I should take the phone all the time, you know? So they're trying to get it back. They're trying to get it things. back by being like perfect yeah. angels. And and I give it back. I don't take too long on it. Um, for the boys, the younger boys will be PlayStation or iPad. When they were younger, and this is a funny story, they would argue between each other. And their punishment was to sit in a room with no electronics and to face each other. that's when they fought with each other and literally it works like magic within 30 minutes you'd open the room and they're playing like simon says or um patty cake or something i'm like see now you guys like each other i'm like well you forced us to face each other we have to do (laughs) something nice instead of like putting them each in a corner and tell them to go to your rooms you're gonna face each other wow because they're gonna end up out of boredom like doing something or playing something so that's my punishments i do believe yes and uh how do you say time out for the five-year-old, it's not working too good with the five-year-old. I think I'm a little bit more lenient with him. He's your favorite, the little one. He's your last um, one. <laughs> you know, he's, if, so, he's so cute, Michelle. I love him. But, you know, um, I don't think, like, my kids would answer this. The 15-year-old would answer this. She answered them. They would, they would ask them, um, I think their uncle asked them, who's your favorite? And they're like, my mom's favorite is the one that listens, the one that's oh, following the rules. That's a good And it's, it's funny that they said that. And I was like, yeah. I think you always spoil the youngest because he's the baby of the family. But yeah, you know, I was a good answer to the 15-year-old because, yeah, if you're following the rules and you're, like I tell my kids, number one rule in my house, don't lie. Come up to me and tell me, I think the 10-year-old broke, I'm going to say a vase, but it's not a vase. It's like a little like Whatever, structure or something. He's like, um, I was playing with my younger brother and he bumped into it and it fell. And I was like, yeah, I don't think you're telling the truth. Now, you're not going to get it punished for whatever broke. But you're going to get punished for lying. And he's like, okay, let me retell you the story. Um, I was playing with the ball inside the house. And we know we don't play with the ball inside the house. And it bumped and it broke. And I was like, you're not going to get punished because you told the truth. It's really important for kids not to lie because once a liar, always a liar. I don't want my son to grow up and lying to his wife. You know, it, it, it builds. Yeah. If he's going to lie about this incident, then he's going to continue lying. That's what I was going to say. You're literally preparing them for their marriage, future selves, yeah. for mm-hmm. marriage, for the real world, just like you said. And that's so interesting that you bring up even not just raising your daughters a certain way, but how you raise your sons and how yeah. are you raising them? The boys are at a younger age now, so it depends. For the 10-year-old, we're at the process of the world doesn't revolve around you. Um, even if you're the younger brother, I want you to hen 
to care about your older sisters because one day you are going to be taller than them and you are going to be, you know, um, for birthdays, I literally take from each one from their allowance and they put together and they buy each sibling a gift. I want them and I emphasize on that because I want them, you know, God forbid one day I'm not going to be here and I want them to be close as siblings and I want them to care for each other. Even if you're younger, also I love when the brother cares for the sister and asks about her. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be an expensive gift, but that's building where ask, remember your sister's birthday, remember your brother's birthday. I honestly, I get my brother's birthday gifts. We still do that. We give our brother's I do birthday that. gifts. And it's interesting that you say like when a brother cares for a sister, because like there was once I was going through something and I went to my room, like it was a, a like, you know, long day after work. I went to my room and I see like these two new candles and a box oh. of chocolates. And I'm like, what the hell? What is this? And my mom was like, guess who got it for you? Sumayin. I was like, wow. And he's like, he knew that you were having a rough week and he literally That's just so like, cute. and yeah. I was like, subhanAllah, like, this is how you want to raise them because he's going to do the same thing for his wife and it's yeah. going to be a good domino effect, a great like, ripple effect. And I, I love that you're raising your kids that way. And even when it comes to, hey, you had a story about her, about Starbucks and I kind of want to like transition into... Yeah them meeting somebody how are you gonna like allow them to talk to somebody get to know somebody you allow she, she wants to go what to starbucks and yeah uh, so she called me up and she was like mom um she has to wait for the 15 year old she's in volleyball but she's not so she's like I, it's a two hour and she's like i want to do my homework and me and my friend are gonna meet up in starbucks initially in my heart i did not like that just because it's a coffee shop and it's not like a quiet coffee shop. Well, it's let's talk full. about our Starbucks. It's filled with a bunch of guys in yeah, our Starbucks. you know, we're talking you know, about... I just guys that linger there. Oakland Starbucks. Yeah. So it's like all guys there. I didn't say no. I was like, you know what? I think I've raised her right. And I know she can handle herself. So within 40 minutes, uh, she, I get a phone call. Mom, we're leaving Starbucks. We're going to my friend's house. And I'm like, why? She's like, no, nothing. I'm like, no, seriously, Why? She's like, well, we're doing our homework. And like this guy comes up and he's like, uh, he has an accent. He's like, hi, how are you? I am from Amman and I'm new here. And I, I'm, I'm going to Marine Valley. And if I can get your help and can I get your number? She's like, mom, we just got creeped out. So she's like, I just tell him. And she turns around and face and tells him, you're really bothering us. And it's not right. And she's like, we just left. And she said in Arabic because my dad speaks good Arabic. And she's like, so we just chose to leave. And I was like. I was like, oh, okay, good job. But me, it was like, oh, moment. Like, my child is out there, and she handled herself right. And, you know, she was okay with it. She so, knew what to say. She, she didn't know what to just, do it. Yeah. She didn't entertain him, but at the same time, she didn't feel nervous to feel like she was obligated to give him her number. Oh, let me tell you, my older one, and going back to raising your kids, and I'm going to emphasize on this, everybody's different. Do not compare your children with other people's children. That's the worst thing you can do. Studying psychology, we'll get into that more. The worst thing you can do is like, look at like our parents. They didn't mean it, but like, don't do that. And don't compare them to each other. My older one, uh, she's very organized. She's outspoken. She's not afraid to tell you what's on her mind versus the 15-year-old is a little bit more shy. Uh, she's a sports fanatic. I love that they're different. I also encourage them to be different. Uh, the 10-year-old is, is different. He's very sweet. He's very charming. He's so helpful. And I love that about him. The five-year-old, I really can't judge who he's going to be yet because he's just <laughs> so all over the place. I mean, I'm just like, hand me my phone. He's like, no, I'm tired. You're being mean. I'm like, yeah, we have a lot of work on that. Yeah. So let them be who they want to be. Yeah. As long yeah. as they're not lying, as long as they're not being abusive, as long as they're not being selfish. Going back to the Starbucks story, I think it's so important to teach our daughters that they don't have to be polite all the time. Yes. No. Right? Like I was listening to another podcast that was saying this like, F politeness. Like when, it, mm -hmm. when you find yourself in a situation where you feel uncomfortable, you feel like you're in danger, 
don't be polite i've done that on yourself yeah yeah, i've given out the wrong number but why even do that like just just say just say no i don't back then we didn't have the tools and the resources and people or other women who can guide you and tell you like no you don't have to do this like back then you didn't know how to say no there was no such thing as saying no Yeah. yeah i'm happy you guys brought that up because i think it affected me a lot for being polite and there's so much stuff that I put pressure on myself within my too. marriage, yeah. within even within my parents, my siblings, friends, my in-laws. I, I'm so embarrassed to say no. And you, I find myself with like a long list of things to do or doing something I really didn't want to do. So believe it or not, I learned from my children to say no. It's yeah. a simple no. You can be nice. And you don't no have to be, you know. think of you as like a bad person for saying yeah. no. Like it's not a selfish thing to say, no, I don't feel like yeah. it. I don't feel safe. I don't want to give you my number. It's so important. Uh, and on the, any situation, you know, like if you don't want to do it, then just yeah. don't do it. Don't spread yourself so thin. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you're going to just not even do what you said yes to, what you mm-hmm. committed to. You know what I mean? Just say no from the start. When it comes to Haya and Malak, how are you going to prepare them to one day? I mean, this is inevitable. They're going to one day want to get married or talk to somebody, mm-hmm. get to know them, get married. Like, how are you going to help them out with that and like navigate that part of their lives? It's coming soon. I mean, they're in their mm-hmm. 17. They're going to start slowly getting interested in guys yeah. in their 20s. Of course. I mean, let me tell you something. And to the all parents out there, if you think your 14-year-old daughter or 14-year-old boy is not looking around, or not getting little butterflies in your stomach, then you're in denial. Allah created this like this. We are humans. We like to be loved and to love. That's part of us. That's part of our nature. So the sooner you realize that this is happening, the better you can explain it to them. Number one rule, when they send you that letter in school to explain that little class about the body and the whole thing, I was like, yay, they saved me. This whole yeah. talk. This awkward so, talk. Yeah. So, so I agree to it. parents opt out of that, though. Like, I yeah. remember in my middle school, and I went to public, you know, American middle school, a lot of kids didn't show up to, like, sex ed because their parents did not want them to know that. But it's so oh, important. I it's let wrong. them go. Yeah. It's in fifth grade. They were still in public school. And I signed up for it because they need to understand about their body and about, you know, I got questions many times where we come from, my stomach, but how? And I'm like, well, for the number, the five-year-old, I'm like, literally, it was a C-section. So yeah, <laughs> it was a open. C-section, so it was cut open. But I let them take that class. Second thing, at the age of 15, I sat my daughters down, and we talked about, mom, boys are cute, right? And they're like, mom, ew. I'm like, no, 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 not ew. You're going to feel things, and you're going to look. And they start laughing about it, because I think when I was little, I was like, ishay. So it was like, ooh, you know, it's like what's forbidden. (laughs) It's like, Like, what is really? It's like what's forbidden becomes so like enticing. Yeah, you know, in anything. So I think it was like, don't look, don't touch, don't talk. And it's like, no, I want to touch, I want to talk, I want to do. I didn't touch until I was having it. Yeah. But so I told my daughters, look and talk about it. And if you have to talk to the you know, if you have to talk to a boy or a girl for a reason, go ahead and do it. It's not haram, people. It's okay, you know? Just don't act upon your feelings and don't touch. And my 17-year-old said, please don't say that on the radio. Don't say don't touch. <laughs> like, did. You can look, but you can't touch. Don't yeah. touch. Don't act upon your feelings. So as soon as I talk to them, and like I said, it's, it's a normal feeling. We're human beings. And as they get older, we had another talk. Because recently when we went back home, People are asking for my daughter's hands. And I'm like, okay, whoa, whoa, slow down, you know? And so we sat down, we had this talk about, you know, in the near future, you're older. 
and people are asking for your hand or you might go to college and you might meet someone. Number one, you tell me. I need to know because mama, we have to do a background check. <laughs> and my background check is not as the older generation. Who is this kid or who is this girl? How does she spend her time? What do they do with themselves? What do they want to do? If they ask for your number, they should be willing to ask for your father's number. Ooh, and snap your fingers know. for that. You know? Yeah. It's fine. Let them call me. It's not wrong. And let's say they do meet someone, and he is Muslim, and he does come from a good family. I don't like why we rush into making a tulba and popping on the diamond ring. I believe it's called courtship. Let them meet each other. Yeah. Let them talk on the phone before you go telling the whole world. Yeah. Yeah. Let them go out for a cup of coffee. It's in a public place. Why not? And then if they get along and they like each other and we're ready to move forward, then you can have your little tulba and do whatever you want to do. And I told my daughter, don't look for money. And and don't look for a degree. A degree is awesome. But let me tell you guys something. Not everybody's cut out for school or for a degree. So many people are book smart and many people are street smart. Yeah. And a lot of people are successful without a degree. I'm not saying don't go get a degree, but it's not for everyone. So if a good guy comes and he has faith, I'm not looking for a religious, religious person, but if he fears Allah or if the girl fears Allah, they will fear Allah and your children. And many problems are resolved. Me as a human, if my Lord was here or the Prophet was here, I know what they would tell me. You know what's right from wrong. So faith is important. Prayer is important. But again, if he doesn't pray, you can get him to pray. The degree is awesome, but it's not a top priority. You know, I, I've known many people who are married to doctors and they're living a horrible life. It's like a double life, yeah. You know, you know in, the, in the public eye, it's their money good people, yeah. is great, but me and my husband st started literally from scratch. And Alhamdulillah, we worked very hard. Money does not make you happy. Hey, I love nice things. I'm not going to lie, but it's not going to bring you happiness. It really does not. So getting communication, know that person. So my daughters know they can come and tell me. They know I'm going to make a background check. I want to know this person. I want to talk to this person. Why do you want my daughter? And the most important thing is it's nasib. What Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has written for us is going to happen. And another thing with this whole nasib thingy really is dua. As a mother and as a human, I really make a lot of dua. And subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah is the protector of all of us. So I, from right now, I say, Allah, protect my daughters. Bring their nasib, a guy that's going to take care of them and make them happy. I don't ask for money. I don't ask for a degree. I ask for them to be happy because, you know, the worst thing that can happen is seeing your daughter get hurt no matter what. Whether she got the guy or she found him or you brought him, in the end, you just want them to be happy. So dua is a very important thing. Just to study, even if you're driving, you're walking. Every night, I go to every room, and they laugh at me, my kids. And I, which is the, and I say, Allah, guide my children and direct them the right path. And I say it to myself, too. Uh, dua goes very far. And sometimes it gets answered in a totally different way, and you're like, oh, my God. I don't ask specifically. I ask, Allahumma wakiltuka amri. So, God, I give you control of my life. And you know what to do for me. And it comes, it works out on its own.
Yeah. And when it comes to marriage, I don't see you pushing your daughters towards it. It's whenever yeah. they're ready. And so you're like you said, you always just want to be that guide to them. Like if yeah. they're ready to get married, fine. If they want to continue their education, that's also fine. I mean, I really don't want them to. I want them to live with me because truthfully, they're my friends. Truly, my friends are my daughters and my boys. And believe it or not, sometimes they guide me. Sometimes if I run into a problem and I'm like, oh, my God. And they're like, mom, just do this or do that. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know. Yeah, why not? So they are my friends, and I, I want them to stay with me. You know, I'm like to my older one, tell you're 25. She's like, Mom, you know, I want to live my own life too. I'm like, what itch? Yeah. <laughs> so it's no sleep. And let me tell you something. I was talking to my niece about this. There's no specific agenda for this whole thing with marriage and school. Some people go to school, get their degree, and then their no sleep comes. Some people get their no sleep and go to school. It's There's no specific way for it because I felt like, you know, some parents teach their kid, like, you have to graduate and you have to get married or you have to get your degree and get your job and get your married. No, there's no certain way. It works out to whatever's written for you. Also for the guy, you know, he might not have his degree, but find the right wife. You can always build your life together. I am a firm believer because we build a good life together. Alhamdulillah, it was not easy. It was very hard. It's still hard, but uh, just take it step by step. Exactly. And Nasib is in everything. It's not just in marriage, but like you said, in, in education, that's also Nasib. And sometimes, yeah, you shouldn't wait for the perfect moment to be with somebody. Like you, you should grow together. It should be a partnership. Don't put, put this beautiful marriage or this beautiful union on hold just because you feel like I'm not ready to approach her parents because so, yeah. you know what I mean? As long as you have your faith, the basic principles, that should be good enough. Your mannerisms yeah. and the respect. Let's like talk about you now, Sahar. I mean, mm. you, like you said, you were married. First you were a daughter, then you became a wife, and now you're a mother. But it's like, who are you at the core? Have you figured that out yet? So I think for the past four years, alhamdulillah, I'm happy. But there's, I felt like something was missing. And my heart felt heavy about it. So I love my kids. I love my husband. I love my parents. I love my siblings. I have amazing friends. But somehow I started to feel like, how about me? You know, who's Sahar? And I kind of felt like I was so focused on being a mother. I would even feel guilty if I went out. I would feel guilty if, like, I'm doing anything for myself. So I never really did anything. I never had a job. And somehow I want a job. I want something. But I never did anything because I felt like I have to be there. I have to be there. To the mothers out there, no. Don't feel guilty. You can be a mom and you can do something for yourself. And never give up on yourself. It's going to be a lot harder. So I decided to go back to school. I've never been to college. I graduated high school and I've been home ever since. Um, I read a lot of books. Uh, I'm a Googler. I Google a lot of stuff. I just like to learn a lot. And I chose psychology because I really would like to go or to major into like family and marriage counseling. Because I love to help people. I love, I feel like a lot of, especially the Arab community. Some people don't know who to talk to. And sometimes you just need someone to listen to you. And I love to see people happy. I really do. I went ahead and it took me four years to actually set foot into applying for college. Why like, did it take that long? Do you think I you were ready? Know. I was really scared. I'm going to be honest yeah. with you. It's scary. I've never been to college. I think I underestimated myself too because I was like, you know, it's been 16 years. I don't know if I can do this. You know, technology has changed, the, the teaching, the process, everything has changed. So I went ahead and I was like, I'm going to apply. And I announced it. And um, 
the biggest helper was actually your dad, Ami Muhammad. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, I called nice. him up. He's one of the people that are educated in our family. He has his degree. He has his job. And I appreciate his insight a lot. So I called him up and I was like, I don't know what I want to do. And uh, he was like, you need to do what you want to do because this is a long life process. You have to be happy with it. And again, I'm going to thank him for that. Um, I was going to go, my initial thought was just to get a, a certificate and walk out. And then I was like, let me do radiology. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. And then I started Googling, what should I be? And every, it's like a hundred question well, yeah. test. <laughs> and, I, and everything directed so me to like therapist, counselor. And I was like, that's what I want to be. If it's going to take four years, if it's going to take six years, and I'm saying this, and I'm scared as I'm saying this. And I don't know if I'm going to last. I honestly don't. So with the advice that I got from my uncle and my husband is supporting me. He's That's like, amazing. go for it. He can't offer much help within like the house duties because he works long hours, but he's doing a good job. He really is. My daughters are my biggest supporters. That's They're very amazing. helpful. I don't think I can make it without them. I think it's whether you graduate or not, whether you get that degree or not, it's still so incredible that you're taking the time out to focus on you, whether that's getting your degree or taking a, a class at the gym or anything that you're doing to focus on yourself after all these years of taking care of your family, taking care of your kids, it's important regardless. And I think it kind of goes full circle. We talked about how you said that your parents gave up everything to raise you yeah. and your and your siblings and focus on they focus on like make sure there was food at home, making sure there was a roof over your head and they never had that time to focus on them. I'm glad you realized that you were you could have been on that path. But yeah, you stopped I was. And said, I yeah. was for a long time. And you're like, I don't want that for myself. And I think it's it's so big of you to recognize that and then take action. I am. It was hard. Like I said, I'm there. I'm doing good. I get good mm -hmm. grades. Um, it's hard. Um, I feel guilty because I'm missing out on volleyball games and I'm missing out on basketball games. But we're getting through it. Um, it's okay. My what I'm trying to say is it's okay to want to do something for yourself as a mother. At, at some point, I thought it was selfish, but it's not selfish because I'm a human being. I, my top priority is my family, but it's okay to give myself a little space here and there. Um, so far, so good. I don't know if I can continue. I hope I can. I'm trying my best. It is what it is. You know, how do you say, I also want to do this for my kids? You know, I want my daughters, and I say this specifically, even if you do get older, even if you do get married, it doesn't mean you should stop. You I shouldn't know, lose yourself. Yes, you should not lose yourself. And let me tell you something. I think I wanted to get married and I wanted to move on with my life or start my life better off. But also, I think I misunderstood the concept of as women, you can stand alone. Ooh, it's that's good. A good one. Yes. Yeah, you, it's nice to have a companion. It's nice to have a significant other. It's nice to have somebody to talk to. But... You need to understand, and like I told my daughters, you can stand alone. That person is a piece of the puzzle. He's not the full puzzle. Yeah. He's not the bigger picture. You are. And I tell all four of my kids, reach for the stars. I'm right behind you. You know, if you need a push, I will push you. If you need my hand for me to, to step on, for you guys to step on so I can push you up, I will. I want them to understand they go to college. They don't know college. I, I'm obviously supporting them to go to college. I want them to get a degree because I know they're capable of doing that. You know, you know, as a mother, what your kids are capable of. Like I said, no, you can stand alone. It's okay to fall in love. It's okay to be married. It's okay to want someone to be there. But you are who you are. You're a full package. 
And there are so many women, unfortunately, that don't have that mindset and they're stuck in these relationships and these mm -hmm. marriages and these, you know, points in their lives where they feel like I am not capable of moving out of this mess. I am stuck here because I don't have an education or a job. How can I fight for myself? And it is scary. It is. It is scary when it gets tough and you want to get out. Yeah. If you don't have a job and you don't have an income and I, I speak to a lot of people and yeah, where do they go? You know, you can't just walk out and it's hard. So it is very important to build yourself, you know. And again, looking at it on the other hand, also don't build yourself and go crazy on the guy. You know, it's it's compromising. You're, you're increasing yourself. your ego. Yeah. yeah, you don't want to. You know, you don't want to also put anybody down. And also for my boys, you know, you grow up, you get a job and your job is to provide, but it's not your job to control your wife. It's your job to support her, support each other. So... Like I said, it's all about communication. Communicate with your wife, with your husband, with your children, with your family. You can learn. You can learn from your 10-year-old. Have an open mind. What would you have done differently looking back on your life as a, like a daughter, a wife, a mother? What is something that you feel like, I wish I could change? Or do you feel like everything that has happened has brought you to where you are now and you are happy with where you are right now because you are regaining control of your life? Let me, I spend, let me start off with... I spend many years uh, living with what if I should have and I avoid those for my life right now because it really took a toll on me and it doesn't exist because at that point in time you made it a choice and it seemed right it's done with don't go back and think I in general I say this life is like a road so you're on this road once you're on it you can't get off of it and it's a long road you're going to have mountains ahead of you. You're going to have potholes. You're going to fall. I fell many times. And nobody's going to pick you up. You have to pick up yourself and keep on moving forward. Don't look back. You made a choice. You made a decision. It seemed right at that point. So don't kill yourself for it. We're not born perfect. Allah tells us you're not perfect. Our prophets were not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. The mistake becomes a problem if you pause on that road. And you keep on repeating the same mistake. You got to keep on moving forward. You come up across a, mo a mountain, go ahead, climb it. You can do it. Because standing there is not going to help you. And yes, you'll have some support, but the true support is yourself, your mindset. Keep on moving forward. So I stopped saying I should have, what have. I'm not going to do that. It took a toll on me. I can't control the past. I can't control people, but I can control myself. That's a great point. Oh my God. I just want to say yeah. bravo. Like that's like an Emmy speech <laughs> I right just there. keep on thinking like that. But it's true. Like the longer we stare at this mountain, the bigger it seems and the bigger it gets. Like if you just call to take that first step and you just start climbing it, now you're like back in school. Yeah, it's still fearful for you, but it's not as bad as it as you no, thought it no. was, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What other ways have you decided to like take control of your life again? Is it just like school or is it just also like you said, like your mindset where you can't control people. You can't keep thinking about how I could have changed my life and yeah. everything. Another thing I'm doing is, um, like I said, I always like to please people. It's a good thing, but I literally put a lot of pressure on myself and I don't want to do it or I don't feel like doing it. You know, I'm tired. So now I, I say no more. You know, not rude, but I, I really can't, you know, I can't do this right now because um, I'm also tired too, you know, I mean, physically I'm tired. You know, don't forget as a woman, it's hard. You're trying to raise children. 
you're also trying to be fit and look good, you know? <laughs> you're trying to go to school. You're, you know, you have to also ask about your parents. My parents are older now. They're not that old. But I love them and I want to spend time with them. And also I'm busy with my kids in my school. And so there's a lot going on. So honestly, I'm not going to kill myself anymore to make the whole world happy. Because guess what? Nobody's going to sit here and be or approve of you. Let me say that. Because you do good and they're still not going to approve of you. And if you do bad and they're like, mm, they have something to talk about. Honestly, make your Lord happy. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows what's inside your heart. And he knows what you mean. And he's not going to judge you. I put my Lord first. And I get a lot of comfort with prayer with listening to Quran, sometimes even just listening to Quran, you know what choices to make. I put my family and I put myself and then the rest of the world. Uh, just take it uh, step by step, communicate, be patient, and um, don't forget about yourself throughout this process. I feel like regardless if you're a mother or a soon-to-be mother, if you're a daughter, I feel like you can, and everyone can take away something from this episode. You've said so many important and kind of like life-changing things, I, I think, in this interview. And I think I'm going to walk away and say F politeness. Like I'm not, like you said, I'm going to say no more often. Like that's yeah. just something that I'm walking away from. But just kind of to just kind of to wrap things up, what piece of advice do you want to leave our listeners with? And it could be anything, whether it's on marriage or how to raise kids, motherhood, just figuring out who you are as a person. I'm saying, again, my top two things are patience. Be patient with yourself. Be patient with the people around you. And communication, you know, and don't be selfish, people. You know, just take it step by step, communicate. And sometimes it's good to put yourself in the other person's shoe just to try to understand them. And before we let, we let you go, where do you see yourself in the next few years? I would love to really pursue my dream of getting a degree and being a therapist or a counselor and getting to help people. Thank you so much, Sahad, because this was a very, like you said, it's it's an episode laced with so many valuable lessons. And it's crazy to know that we're just like a few years apart, but our lives are so drastically different. But it's interesting how you took everything that you learned from your childhood and you're implementing it in a different way. And now you yourself, you're a mother, you're raising daughters in today's world. And it's a completely different world than what we were raised in when yeah. we were younger. So I honestly commend you for being that great mother, for being that great cousin, Thank that you. great friend to everybody, that sister. You do have many hats that you wear. So you're more than just you know a mother a homemaker and you know a sister or daughter there's a lot that you have embodied and there's a lot that you have yet to accomplish so we're here for you and we really truly hope the best for you because you honestly deserve us to have thank you thank you for having yeah, thank me thank you thank you guys i appreciate for having me and this is a nice thing you guys are doing it's a good job thanks girl thank yeah Welcome back to our unfiltered afterthoughts. Now we talked a lot about parenting in this episode and Donnie and I are both not parents yet, but I think it's important to have a grasp on what we will expect in the future. And for me, it was finding that balance between being that authoritative figure and then being a friend and how to be both at the same time. And I think Sahad's got it down packed. And I love the word that she used. And she said that she likes to guide her daughters, guide her sons. And I think that's the best thing that you could ever do for your children is guide them. Because, yeah, when you keep saying no, no, no to this, you're going to create rebellious kids. You're going to create kids that are going to want to, you know, try different things and go against your word and everything like that. Because you're making these things, these forbidden things so enticing. You're not explaining to them right from wrong or why you are deciding to say no. 
And I also like the fact that she's so open with her kids. I thought of a funny story as she was talking about the storybook story. I had my own kind of storybook story. Similar, yeah. So in sixth and seventh grade, I lived in Palestine. I went to an all-girls school and barely interacted with guys that weren't my cousins or my brothers during that time. Then in eighth grade, I moved to America. And on my first day, I got partnered with five guys to work on a school what? project on my first day back in America in a public school. And I went home and I was like, Mom, I don't know what to do. She's like, you need to calm down. Like, it's okay to talk to boys. Like, it's okay because you have to. And I think just being that coming from like a religious school that didn't allow that interaction, like guys were kicked out of the school after seventh grade. Like, you did not see them. And then coming into like this whole different environment and having my mom reassure me, like, hey, it's okay. Like, it's, I think it's so important. You know, like you were saying, I'm not going to go behind my mom's back and do a bunch of, a bunch of shit that I'm not supposed to do because I have that open dialogue with my mom. I can communicate. And communication was something that she talked so much about. Communication and listening to your kids yeah. because you can communicate and talk all day long, but it serves no purpose if the other person that you're communicating to is not listening to you. When you have a mother that tells you to take a deep breath and actually like go step by step and explain how did this affect you? Like she literally asked her kids, like, how has this affected you? I've never had that asked like to me, like nobody's asked that of me. Like, how has this affected you? What were your thought? What was your thought process? Like, no, I've always gotten a no. That's yeah. it. No explanation. And I said this in the episode. I feel like I got angrier at the no more so than not being able to hang out with my friends. Because you feel like you're not being taken seriously and you feel like a child, even though you are a child, like you feel like you're being treated as less than just having that open dialogue with your kids, I think can prevent so many things in the future and kudos to the moms who are listening to this who you know decided to give themselves that extra push to regain the like, control of their life and when we say regain control of their life it doesn't mean that they were lost or that they you know didn't know what the heck they were doing with their lives i'm just saying just figuring out what you for once enjoy and what do you want to do with your life like what is it that you want? Step aside from your role as a mom, as a daughter, as a sister. What is it that you as a person, as a whole human being, what do you want to achieve in this world? And life is so short, like you cannot just keep brushing yourself aside and, right. you know what I mean? Right. Go after your dreams. Take Like you said, take control of what you want at the end of the day. And that's not to say that like stay-at-home moms are just waiting for the opportunity where their kids leave the nest. No, but sometimes it's good to have an outlet. That's, that's not your husband. That's not your kids. That's just for you. And that could be getting monthly facials or signing up at the gym and going to the gym an hour a day, just focusing on yourself. It doesn't have to be as big of a deal as going back to school, as incredible as that is. Take baby steps to get there if that's what you want. You know what I mean? Just focus on yourself once in a while. We really, really hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. And we really want to thank our guest, uh, Sahar Hamdan, for coming on here. She is truly somebody that I still to this day look up to. She's a magnificent mom, an amazing cousin, a beloved daughter, everything. She just plays every role so well. And she's just the kindest soul. So thank you to her. Thank you to all of our guests who always, like I said, week after week, come on here and share their stories and they open up to us. And it's just such a beautiful thing. And we want to keep this going. So we hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. We hope if you did that you can leave us a review. That's really what we really rely on are these reviews. So yes. it would mean a lot to us. And we hope that you guys come back next week and listen to our next episode. Inshallah. Thank you guys so much. Thank you.